Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, hopefully, from last episode, our lighting has improved a little bit yeah. because you couldn't see anything last mm-hmm. time. To our one viewer out there yes. on YouTube. I haven't seen how many views it has, but I'm guessing it's not much. <laughs> uh, it's not much at all. Well, uh, so we're going to hop right into it because last episode was almost two hours and we uh, don't want to spend all our time bantering. Right. But I do want to update us or get an update on where Christian nationalism is on Twitter right now. And uh, we had quite a dr- bomb uh, drop last night on us in the Christian nationalist world. Yeah. Uh, it's the Rob Reiner movie, which, to be honest with you, um, I'm not a fan of Rob Reiner. Who would be? Well, Frank- He's a Christian, at least. Frankly, I'm not even... Frankly, I don't even know who Rob <laughs> Reiner is. Well, let's just say he's allied himself with people like Phil Vischer, Russell Moore. It's basically all you need to know about him. Well, as I said on Twitter with Joel Webin, mm-hmm. um, I I replied to Joel Webin's post on it, and I thought, Phil Vich- I, I said, uh, David French, I'm out. Mm. And um you know what what kind of got me what well, my what my first thought was is that um you know Scott Annual came out and you know said oh same thing with Gabe Hughes yeah, yeah. I would never <clears throat> never yeah align myself with these people right wing watch you know that's a tongue twister right wing watch yeah. Anyways, they're godless pagans that run that page. And yet they teamed up with yeah. them on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's been funny. I mean, I, I mean, I appreciate them saying, hey, these people are idiots that made this film. We're not with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we're brothers at the end of the day. It's in-house debate with us and G3. Oh, yeah. However, it's not in-house debate with the Phil Vischer crew. Mm-hmm. They I mean, are just deconstructed to the point where I wouldn't call them Christians anymore. And I think I saw, I might have saw KCB on there. KCB? Yeah. Uh, it's uh Oh, is it Kristen Dumez? Is it? She's one of them. Oh, Barrett. 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 Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. There's I saw, too many names. I saw one of the woke girl, one of the work gals. The woke it's, gals. It's Chris. Uh, cur- Kristen Dumas, Kristen Dumas, yeah, crazy egalitarian woman. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we would not be fans if you've listened to our first season. Anyways, the debate is still raging on Twitter, and it's only getting heated up, mm-hmm. which makes our uh, book club on this book all the more relevant today. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take us probably a year to get through it because we're only doing an episode a month, mm-hmm. so. Buckle up, you guys. I hope you're ready to enter this uh, this Christian nationalist world with us. I'm buckled up and ready to roll. All right. Well, let's hop right into the book then. Um, Kendrick, give me your first impressions of this chapter. What did you like? What didn't you like? Um, before we really begin the breakdown of the chapter. Well, um, you know, the... Uh the emperor has no clothes on mm-hmm. 
and you could kind of see his uh, all male perspective kind of come out. Um, that's one thing I didn't like is that you kind of see. Uh, what? All right. So I believe that there is no secular sacred division. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I believe everything is for the Lord. Yep. Um, where they're just uh, putting your tooth, putting the putting, whether br- just brushing your teeth, mm-hmm. or um, or going out and converting Muslims or every anyone else. Yeah. Um, and so what I think was that is that whenever Adam, well, but yeah, let's not get too much into it. I think that. He focuses more on the secular sacred divide whenever I think there's two, and that kind of comes out with his all male ness. Mm-hmm. And that's to be expected. He doesn't hide the fact that he's all male mm-hmm. and that he's relying heavily on the reformers, which is fine. It is. I mean, we mm-hmm. can we can disagree with him on this area, mm-hmm. and I agree. Um, I don't. He he's basically laying a foundation for his arguments with mm-hmm. this chapter. And unfortunately, I disagreed more than I wanted to mm-hmm. with his foundations. Mm-hmm. But on the second half of the chapter, I really liked what he had to say. So Yeah, I think he's too natural theology for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. it got heavy into that area. And mind you, I don't mind some natural theology. Oh, oh no. Mm. Well, are, are you saying... Are you coming out as a Thomas now? No. Hmm. What I'm just saying is that, you know, I could see, I could see, um, I don't mind if someone goes that route just for a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's hop right into it. Today I've got my uh, ace hard cider to get me through chapter one. Um, cheers to anyone else who may have a drink out there. To- Pagan. <laughs> I'm sorry, did do you not believe that God made alcohol? That Jesus' first miracle was making wine? Well And he made strong wine. You see Man, you're gonna lump me with scan with Scott, aren't you? With the whole grape juice uh Oh boy, I don't even want to get into that. The whole grape juice wars whenever it clearly mean whenever oinos clearly means wine. Yeah. But well, what I'm but I'm just kidding. I don't mind beer. That's fine. In fact, I think beer was a great theme for the Reformation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the Reformers loved it. In fact, that's what we first had in America before anyone else. Amen, brother. Got to keep those Puritans satisfied with the with ale. All right. Let's get into the chapter. Mm-hmm. Chapter 1, Nations Before the Fall. What is man? Part 1, Creation. Mm-hmm. That's a long title, but uh, he's dealing with a lot, so I understand. Mm-hmm. So the first section he has titled A Rational Animal, and this is where he begins his anthropology mm-hmm. of what man is or mm-hmm. who man is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, first things first, when we hear animal describing people, we often think in He's referring to evolutionary terms. That's not what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I just want to be that clear right off the bat because people may be confused hearing that terminology. 
Well, you just became the wet blanket for our contrarian yeah. listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's not what he's doing. Um, but he, he'll explain himself in the chapter. So mm-hmm. that being said, just don't freak out, people. Let him define his own terms. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before I read, Kendrick, was there anything um, stood out to you in this first section? Yeah. Um, I... Kind of, um, this section really kind of helped me, mm-hmm. um, with more, with understanding more of man before the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I do disagree with some of it, but honestly, it's not even worth going into. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get to parts where he's more clear and the dividing line is more clear, mm-hmm. but, um, that'll come when it comes. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, the first thing that stood out to me in chap- in uh, this first section of chapter 1, um, bottom of page 40, he says, Since man cannot achieve his earthly and heavenly ends when solitary, man congregates, by instinct and reason, into familial, social, and political groups for mutual support, cooperation, and protection. This is not controversial, but acknowledging this alone does not tell us which particular social arrangements are most suitable suitable given his nature? So he's kind of kicking off his argument, explaining pre-fall, mm-hmm. how man was rational, how he is social, and how we tend to congregate and create communities. Yeah, And he's not rooting that in the fall. He's saying, actually, that's how man was created to be before the fall. Yeah, I had a, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I had a professor who said that, um, who said that socialism uh, would would be the Edenic uh, figure of government. Mm, and disagree with that. And that because of the fall, we have cap, we need capitalism. Yeah, actually, Wolf addresses that later on in the book, yeah. which I'm glad he did. Mm-hmm. Because I can see how people would come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. How basically, well, if we hadn't fallen, there'd be utopia. You have a socialist mm-hmm. utopia. No, not necessarily. Yeah, I never was... I, I didn't like that. Because I believe that hierarchies are part of um, God's creation. Yep. Sorry, you egalitarians out there. But towards the end of the chapter, you may get your feelings hurt a little bit. So. Well... To be honest with you, I mean, it, it's just there. I mean, well, you have man created first, then women, then yep. woman. You have God, then angels, you know. Mm-hmm. If you don't like hierarchy, then let the angels be around, be on the same par as God. And yeah, and if you don't like patriarchy, mm-hmm. hate to break it to you, but Christianity is the most patriarchal religion on the planet. Well, especially God reveals himself to us as Mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. Christ became a man. Yeah. Sorry. Holy Spirit. Um, What are his uh, pronouns? He. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Not really, though. Hmm. All right. Let's keep you on. The Christian narrative of man's creation, fall, redemption, and glorification complicates this question. When we say that by nature man is social, we are assuming a state of integrity a state of sin, a state of pre-glory redemption, or a state of glorification. 
and how does each state affect our nature, our manner of living, and how we arrange our communities? So when he's talking about a rational social animal, mm -hmm. he's saying there's a pre-fall example mm -hmm. of this, there's a post-fall example of this, and then there's a uh, redemption mm -hmm. version of this. Mm -hmm. Because obviously each one is different where you have sinless man, where you have man affected by sin, and where you have man redeemed by sin, but still deals with a sin nature. Yeah, and I think, honestly, I think that um, that Cain and that Cain and Abel, mm -hmm. and then going them making their well, Cain making his cities was just a natural result of what a creation would have been, and that. Um, Honestly, I think what we have today is without is close to what we would have um, in an, in a state of integrity, um, but obviously marked by sin. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. um, he concludes that paragraph by saying, one purpose of this chapter is to provide clarity along these lines. So the, the point of the chapter is to examine man in his pre-fall state, post-fall state, and redeemed state, mm -hmm. and what carries over through each state, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I highlighted one more part. Um, it's at, on page 42, last paragraph. Um, my presentation in this chapter and the next uses a familiar schema, creation, fall, redemption, we alluded to this in the introduction mm -hmm. uh, book club because he mentions that as well. I described the pertinent features of man in each of his corresponding states, integrity, sin, and redemption, highlighting the continued, uh, continuity and discontinuity of features between these states. So there mm -hmm. you go. I mean, that's just the Christian narrative. Yeah, that's pretty basic. Mm -hmm. um, but to maybe the unstudied, this may sound like a new idea. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not. It's, it's pretty average. Mm -hmm. Pretty basic. Pretty basic. Any thoughts on that first section, Kendrick? Um, I liked how he said that um, that evangelical or or Christian political theology is far too, is far too vague. Yeah. And that you need to go deeper. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at the just the chaos on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like, the, there's a reason he relied on the reformers for this. Yeah, and I'm sorry, G three, but the reformers would be on our side. Yeah. Well. Well, they know that. I don't even think they would deny that. I don't know how you could deny that. Well, I mean, they did try and say that "Joy to the World" is another is not well, a post mill song. Well, we'll talk about that in our Christmas episode, guys. Well, it is. There's a there's a Easter egg for y'all. It is. There, okay, there you go. Don't don't give away our next episode, Kendrick. <laughs> I just like to make my points known. Okay, I agree. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, part two. The, oh, the ends and dignity of man, and this is where our disagreements mm -hmm. are going to come in. Um, the two ends of man. So he says. God created Adam with both earthly and heavenly ends. And already I'm disagreeing with yeah. him. 
and this is like the first sentence of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of this section. Mm-hmm. But here, let me read in. Let me read a little bit more, and then we can mm-hmm. discuss. And he says, "The latter refers to eternal heavenly life, that is his heavenly ends, um, which God would grant to Adam and his progeny upon their meeting a divinely instituted condition. The condition was obedience in man's earthly duties, which involved fulfilling the dominion mandate." multiplying, filling, and subduing creation as a vice regent of God on earth. Filling this mandate is not a process of progressively bringing heavenly life to earth by human effort. I disagree. But Kendrick, you go first. All right. So my biggest thing is that, first of all, the heavenly temple was on earth mm-hmm. with... um with um with with eden um for as we all know that temples are well i'm going to make this point that most people will probably disagree with uh i believe that eden was on a mountain okay and that um because you see the temple always on the mountain Mm -hmm. with god's presence and the whole part of redemption has been trying to bring the heavenly temple that we lost on eden down back to earth yeah so if you're dispensational you're not going to like this but this is basic covenant theology. oh <laughs> yeah i think anyone who holds to covenant theology whether presbyterian or baptist would probably have to agree with you on that one yeah so i agree uh you know god walked with adam in the garden they had perfect communion mm-hmm. in the pre-fall state mm-hmm. um so I, I, in some way, yeah, heaven was on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about like not just creation, but all of scripture as a whole, mm-hmm. the part of redemption is restoring that, mm-hmm. restoring what was lost in the fall. Mm-hmm. You had that hard divide between God and man. Mm-hmm. For all of Israel's existence, they had to have a temple and the veil between God and man mm-hmm. with redemption, Christ came, died on the cross, ascended, and that veil was torn. We have direct communion to God mm-hmm. through our intercessor, who is not Mary, mm-hmm. but Jesus Christ himself. You just have to throw that in there, huh? And because of that, if you read Revelation, we know one day heavenly Jerusalem will come down to earth and the two will become one, mm-hmm. thus restoring what Adam failed in his mission mm-hmm. to do. And if you want to take a look, if you want to go more preterist, yeah, you can, we can uh, state that um, the destruction of the temple was um, happened because it was not a real temple anymore, anymore, mm-hmm. anymore. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so, with the destruction of, Jeru- of Jerusalem, um, is shown that we that that temple is, is now in heaven, and will come down. Yeah, and you know, on top of that, he there is a part that I agree with, and he says uh, we're not bringing heaven to earth. Um, Adam's mission was not to bring heaven to earth. Oh yeah, I agree. Like we're not the ones bringing heaven to earth, mm-hmm. but like the first Adam should have done, the second Adam is accomplishing Mm -hmm. so yeah it's not us but our federal head Mm -hmm. jesus christ is doing that our representative 
I also don't believe that he was bringing heaven down to earth because heaven was already on earth. Yeah, yeah, he didn't he didn't need to, <laughs> but because of him, there was that hard divide. And now, we're not bringing heaven down to earth, but Christ is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I mean, this is Romans four. Mm-hmm. What the first Adam failed, the second Adam accomplished. Mm-hmm. Our our father Adam, mm-hmm. in sin, yes. In Christ, we are under the second Adam now. Mm-hmm. Basic covenant theology. Oh, wow. So I, I disagree with Stephen on this. I maybe even disagree with the reformers on this. But oh, that's so, all right. I mean, we get post-millennial, post-millennialism soon. Mm-hmm. Some have stated that Calvin was a post-millennialist. Yeah, I, well, people say that Athanasius was the father of post-millennialism. Mm-hmm. Whether that's accurate... I'm too unstudied to know for sure, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm sure people will point to hints in his theology that would point to postmillennialism. Mm-hmm. So everyone wants a piece of the of yeah. Calvin and the reform. Yeah, yeah, everyone wants the reformers to be on their side. Mm-hmm. I get it, I do, mm-hmm. but they're not infallible. Also, they weren't Baptists, so yeah, yeah that's true. We don't like to talk about that one. No. All right, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. Uh, towards the bottom of that page 43 and he quotes Bavink which I love mm-hmm. as Herman Bavink said the state of integrity is not yet the state of glory it is a preparation for eternal glory when God will be all in all so I would yeah, per- go ahead. I would like to dis- disagree with that Okay, because I believe that that process is returning Mm-hmm. To a stable, to the state of, in, that we are returning to the state of integrity. I think where the disagreement might be would be the scope of it, maybe. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in the state of integrity, Adam was still supposed to go out and take yeah. dominion and expand God's borders on earth mm-hmm. as his representative. Well, the second Adam is doing that now. Mm-hmm. But maybe they would say by when God will be all in all, yeah. they mean when Adam accomplished his mission, mm-hmm. if he had. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I think that's kind of an unclear point. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that supports what Wolf is saying. I think that Bobbing might be talking, like you said, about the scope and grandeur yeah. of the state of glory and the fact that um, the state of glory will save glory will be better than the state of integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. The, mm-hmm. This chapter is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the ideas I had to read a few times to really develop my thoughts on, mm-hmm. and some of them are still undeveloped even after reading it. Mm-hmm. But it, it gets deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I have a quotation right here. Sure. And I, this was me playing like I was asking Stephen Wolf. So are you, are we uh, saying that the state of integrity was imperfect? Was imperfect. Uh, I think uh, he can. Well, I think that if you go Stephen's route, that he would say that no, it wasn't perfect. It. Um, <clears throat> he goes Augustine where he says this wasn't perfect. Yeah, I think um, he may nuance it. That's what I would do if I was in this position to say, well, it was it was sinless. So earth was sinless. Mm-hmm. 
However, that doesn't mean all that the Dominion mandate had fully taken place yet. Which I I mean I agree. However, I still think it was a state of perfection. Well, I mean we could go on this rabbit trail all yeah. day. Um, and maybe Stephen would like to talk about it, but okay. Yeah, he'll never he'll never hear this. But hey, Stephen, if you ever find this podcast, what we would love to talk to you. Actually, not as like enemies, mm-hmm. because I actually like you quite a bit. But we do have a lot of questions. I actually do like you. Yeah. I like how you smoke your pipe. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. I wish I could smoke a pipe. Well, <laughs> I don't even like pipes. Why am I even saying that? You don't I like pipes? Could, What's wrong with you? I wish I could smoke a cigar like you do. Okay. I have to go Baptist here. Well, all right. Okay. Um, I have a few more things highlighted. Page 44. Um, this too ends theological anthropology, though question in some neo-Calvinist circles today, which he would place us in, mm-hmm. that would be us, was held almost universally by classical Protestants in, uh, and the Christian tradition, which mm-hmm. is referring to his Thomism, basically. Well, yeah, and the post-reformers. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but the point he's making is, hey, this was a pretty pretty uh, generally accepted idea mm-hmm. among and Christendom w- and one that I would disagree with yeah I, I'm not a neo-Calvinist uh, I don't think that he placed in the right term as a neo-Calvinist um, I think it's just straight Bible reading yeah and here's a general disagreement I have with him about how he uses the reformers mm-hmm I, I love the reformers. They have given us such a great inheritance. Mm-hmm. They've laid the groundwork for so much. Mm-hmm. However, we're post-millennial. We believe these ideas can continue to develop and become more biblically accurate. Yeah. If you go with his standards, uh, there will be no development, development in theology mm-hmm. and um, no development in thought, which... I'm sorry, but the Bible must be studied for forever, and things will change. Yeah, Just yeah it's not. So, I mean, you can look to them as authoritative, sure, mm-hmm. but not infallible. It's um, was it? I agree with them on Martin Luther said. Um, Martin Luther said that um, he was perfect. That blah 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 was perfect on this, but. Uh, but fallible on this issue. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's a healthy way to look at them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm sure Wolf ag- disagrees with the reformers in some area, but I just think you can't base your whole argument on that. Well, if you agree with Aquinas so much, you will eventually get hit the crossroads with the Puritans yeah. and Aquinas. Obviously, he doesn't because he's Protestant. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes to natural theology, I think would be the area he agrees but anyways mm-hmm. all right especially on how far you're willing to let the term puritan go to well sure mm-hmm. we we're going on rabbit trails here <laughs> sorry i'm you're sorry fine. i'm trying to help us get through these uh we're almost pages. there i mean no we're not <laughs> oh yeah you're right all right well um page 45 adam's life on earth was but a foretaste of heaven as he looked forward through the eyes of faith to a future heavenly bliss. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I don't know if I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think um, he had perfect communion with God, mm-hmm. perfection on earth, in mm-hmm. a state of perfection. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But we may just have to agree to disagree on that one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, page 46. To complete his task, Adam required two distinguishable and complementary sets of gifts or abilities, each suitable for one of the two ends of man. Reformed theologians often identified these as natural and supernatural gifts, though both were native to and concreated in Adam at creation. The natural gifts are constitutive to man as man and include knowledge of what is good, free will with regard to natural things, the faculties of reason and understanding and natural soci- sociability, among other gifts. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, it's mm-hmm. a lot to read and a lot of big words. Mm-hmm. But he, he's arguing that Adam gets two sets of gifts, one for his earthly and one for his heavenly end. Um, and those gifts can be used in different areas, in different ways to achieve one of those two goals. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, well, here's what I would say. I I disagree with that. Okay. Um, I do not... I believe that those are both spiritual mm-hmm. and can be connected together. Um, I don't think one is vulgar and one is uh, spiritual. Mm-hmm. I believe that they're connected. Um, the, yeah, I agree. Sorry, you're actually helping me develop mm-hmm. my thoughts on that a little bit. But like... I think he would place the development of the family on the earthly end of things, not on the heavenly end of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can draw some heavenly realities out of it, but functionally it's an earthly reality. But I think we would say, well, no, that's a heavenly reality. It's both. I mean, well, that's coming from, you know, a miserable post-millennialist. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I believe that... I believe that the spirit gave the gifts to carve uh, out the uh, the tabernacle mm-hmm. uh, to make the um, to make the uh, dec- to make the decoration the decorations on the tabernacle, mm-hmm. and, and I believe that he gave the he he gave Adam the um, the ability to do such and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why you said miserable post millennial. We're pretty cheerful, I think. Well, you know, I'm just, you know, it's a post-millennial thing. You know, yeah. we're miserable post-millennialists. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, these are getting, it's getting very nuanced mm-hmm. and uh, very specific. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's my thoughts are going to be less clear, I think, as we get more specific. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's really... It's it really comes down to how many. It's really coming down to how many angels can fit on a pinwheel or whatever. Yeah. Well, and that that's just the nature of talking about pre-fall man. Mm-hmm. There's a lot we don't know about, but Stephen relies on a lot of what the reformers have mm-hmm. um, talked about regarding pre-fall man. What he's doing is not new, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's just an interesting area of thought. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh. Was there anything you highlighted? I don't want to hog all the all the quotes over here. 
Not really. Okay. I think that most of it just fell with me with just that thing. I think that just his separation of the heavenly and vulgar, and mm. I do not mean vulgar in a bad term. Yeah, yeah. I mean like it, earthly. Earthly, yeah. So that's about it. All right. Well, I have one more thing highlighted for this section. So we'll do that, and then we'll move on. Um, on page forty-eight, towards the bottom. Original righteousness is, therefore, not that which enables one to perform right outward action or to do what is good in substance. Rather, original righteousness perfects works that are good in substance with theological good, ensuring that they are performed well before God with the eyes of faith fixated on heaven. And this is one of those sections I had to read a few times Mm -hmm. because I was like, what the heck are you trying to say, Stephen? Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> he's a little wordy, but I don't mind it. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's break it down slowly, so we can bring y'all along with us. Mm-hmm. Original righteousness is therefore not that which enables one to perform right outward action, or to do what is good in substance. So original righteousness, that's uh, pre-fall righteousness, and that's not what enables us to. Um, do good outward things in substance. What do you think he means by that? <laughs> so, what I believe he means by that is not only doing good, mm-hmm. just doing good. I mean, original uh, righteousness meant that you could do good with um, perfect... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that with, pizza's getting to you. Mm-hmm. With perfect uh, motivation. Yeah, I think he's referring to desires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to build a house, not just to glorify yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he says, uh, rather original righteousness perfects works that are good in substance with theological good. Mm -hmm. So that that tithe you give at church, you could do it and, you know, just go through the motions Mm -hmm. and do it. Maybe like, be a little loud with how you give so you can give yourself attention. Mm. Even though putting the money in is a good work, you're giving money to the church. Or to control the pastor and what he might say. Yeah, yeah. You could have bad motivations. But what uh, what original righteousness does is it perfects your motives. It gives you good motives for mm. giving that offering. Mm-hmm. Which I agree. Yeah, that's the only part of the chapter I think we agree with. <laughs> so we there we something. go. Yeah, common ground. Mm-hmm. All right, any other thoughts before I move on to the next section? That's about it. Okay. Well, next he covers the moral law. And this is where we're going to get um, maybe some more natural theology. Yeah. But let, let's hop into it. Um, the divinely instituted condition... For heavenly life is often called the covenant of works. It is variously described by Reformed theologians, but it is simplified as the following. If you do this, you will live. If you fail to do this, you will die. Mm -hmm. Which is, yes, that's accurate. And when your uh, non-familial person with covenant theology hears covenant of works, Mm -hmm. they often think, oh, you're talking about a works-based salvation. No, no. When you're in a covenant, God gives you obligations. 
yeah. to fulfill that covenant. Thankfully, mm-hmm. in the new covenant, Christ fulfilled all those obligations mm-hmm. for us. But I do believe in the workspace uh, salvation. Just for Christ. Yeah. Well, for Adam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, even... Well, he already had a righteousness. This is where we may be a little different from our Presbyterian mm-hmm. brothers and sisters on our covenant theology. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe there were seeds of the gospel mm-hmm. in the Old Covenant. Mm-hmm. They oh. would say that the Old Covenant was just a different administration mm-hmm. of the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... Obviously, they were still saved by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was... There's a reason the New Covenant is called a better covenant than the old covenant it's not the same so anyways in i'm just i was just saying that if adam didn't do what he would do he would have fallen into a state of sin and that it became you know what you did he he didn't do what he was supposed to do yeah so Mm -hmm. all right um towards the bottom Nevertheless, it is important to maintain the distinction between the moral law as a rule and the moral law as a covenant. If one fulfills a moral law as a covenant on your behalf, the moral law does not thereby cease to be the only rule of righteousness. Agree. Agree. Hard agree. Hard. Capital A agree. Okay. (laughs) What? I wasn't expecting you to capitalize the A. You caught me off guard with that one. All caps agree. There we go. All right. Oh, when you were saying hard capital A, I thought you were capitalizing the A in hard. No. That's what threw me off. Mm -hmm. Hard capital A. (laughs) Yeah, what he's saying is um, uh, if one fulfills a moral law as a covenant on your behalf, which Jesus did, Mm -hmm. he fulfilled the moral law on our behalf. Mm-hmm. He's saying uh, that the moral law does not thereby cease to be the only rule. Um, sorry. The moral law does not thereby cease to be the only rule of righteousness. Mm-hmm. So Christ fulfilled the law, yes. However, that law mm-hmm. is still binding and we're still to be obedient to it. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it's just not dependent on our righteousness because we sin all the time. Mm hmm. So, yes, Stephen, that is great. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep going. Um, page 50, he quotes Samuel Willard, mm-hmm. saying, A divine, unchangeable rule given to man and accommodated to his nature as he was created by God, obliging him to serve to God's glory as his last end. God gave Adam this law of nature, immediately at creation in order to regulate life and action. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I really didn't want to say, I really want to agree with him on this, but yeah. I can't. Well, where's your disagreement? First of all, I think he mixed, mi- he misquotes this quote. Oh, because, okay. Uh, first of all, he calls it a law of nature. Yeah. Um, but Samuel, uh, Willard, Willard, did not call it a law of nature. He said it was naturally into the man, which okay. um, which I believe that uh, God's moral law is naturally in man mm-hmm. and that you can't go. And in order to fully flesh that out, 
and say that it's natural for man for man well then you become a presuppositionalist and ooh, yeah that's dirty <laughs> um, that, those dirty vantillians and that you cease to become a a quinian um thomistic to, sorry thomistic sorry. same thing you're right that's fine. but um you know that's not what we mean by law of nature but okay yeah yeah i agree i and it really comes down to how you define the law written on the hearts. Mm-hmm. Like, what law? Well, Are we just talking about, well, lying makes me feel icky, so that's bad. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we're going to make that a law to not lie. Or, mm-hmm. um, I mean, think about today. We already talked about this, but uh, murder is wrong, but people are killing their babies. Mm-hmm. Is the law of God not written on their hearts? it becomes really uh, squishy mm-hmm. if you don't have the definition, which mm-hmm. we do thankfully found in God's law mm-hmm. written down for us. Mm-hmm. We don't have to rely on our own intuition to determine what the law of God is. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, page 51, God as creator put his will for man in man's very design. Therefore, God cannot rescind any requirement of the moral law, including dominion. Amen, brother. Amen. For to do so would pit God against God. He would command us to go against our nature in which the divine will already inheres. Amen. Yes. And might I say that subduing is part of that uh, culture and um, multiplying. Yep. Mm. Yep. It's still binding on us. So mm-hmm. all you all you dinks out there, you're going against God's will. Become an oink. Yes, become an oink. One income, <laughs> nine kids. Amen, brother. Be your own government. Yeah. <laughs> you, it's funny hearing dispensationalists. And it's not all of them, but a lot of them are like the dominion mandate. You dirty, rotten dominionist. Mm-hmm. You dirty, rotten dominionist post-millennialist. I'm sorry, that's just the Bible. Mm. I don't know what you want from me on that one. That's a bad thing? What? That's a bad thing to become a... I know. That's what the Bible says. What do you want from me? (laughs) And then they'll go on Twitter and go like, oh, this nation is not as good as it once was. Why By post-millennials. Yeah, I know. Who started it? A nation of (laughs) post-millennials. Yeah, yeah. We agree. The Dominion mandate carries over. There's no reason to think it wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I do agree. That's what God put man here to do. Mm -hmm. Now, that was in the pre-fall state. In the fall state, we didn't do that. We live in rebellion towards that. Mm -hmm. But in the redeemed state, he'll get into this, grace restores nature. Mm -hmm. Grace restores what was lost. Mm -hmm. So we are still obliged to go out in Christ's name and take dominion. Mm-hmm. Got me preaching with that one. Amen, brother. All right. Anything else on that section before I move on? That's about it. All right. Page 52, his next section is image of God and human dignity. Um, the ways that 16th and 17th century Reformed theologian discussed the image of God are largely foreign to us today. Yeah, and that resonated with me because mm-hmm. you hear people talk about the image of God all the time, but can you think of like a clear definition of what the image of God is? Mm-mm. 
Yeah, it's kind of squishy. Mm-hmm. People use it, I think, more as a um, noun. Because mm-hmm. uh, you'll hear this from the more liberal Christians. Mm-hmm. They're like, you can't address people's homosexuality. They're made in the image of God. Don't talk about them like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? What's the image of God? What is the image of God? Now, is it just being a human being? Mm-hmm. No. It's not just being a human being. There's more to it than that. Mm-hmm. So he helped me quite a bit in this chapter mm-hmm. with definitions. Um, here's what he says. So the image of God chiefly concerns our inward faculties that orient us to heavenly things. But in perfecting our being, the image of God puts us puts the whole in order. As Calvin writes, the divine image ensured the perfection of our whole nature. And that Adam had right judgment, had affections in harmony with reason, had all his senses around and well-regulated and truly excelled in everything good. Mm-hmm. I like that definition. Yep. Our image is what is that which uh, orients us towards the heavenly things. Mm-hmm. Animals can't do that. Mm-hmm. Rocks can't do that. We have the faculties to actually be able to worship God. Mm-hmm. Monkeys can't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Take that, you dirty, rotten evolutionist. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good definition. Yep. Um, But he says more. Put differently, in form, the image of God ensures rectitude, integrity, purity, and order of body and soul. But in consequence to this dignity, man can exercise dominion well. In other words, while dominion is one purpose of the divine image, in itself the divine image concerns rectitude, integrity, and order. Yeah. So when someone is not acting with integrity, mm-hmm. they're suppressing the image of God in themselves. Yeah. And that's why a Christian nation is so important. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that is what orients us towards God. Mm-hmm. You can, I like the groundwork he's laying with this mm-hmm. one. You, It's hard to pick up on it, mm-hmm. but you can see where he's laying the groundwork. Also, you know, I believe that in a pre-fall state, you would still have a government that keeps order, but he goes further into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was, that. I have a lot of thoughts on that, because it was really, mm-hmm. never heard anything like that before. Mm-hmm. But let's keep going. We'll get there. Um, the dominion mandate cannot be a bare divine command that is disconnected from human nature and the sort of gifts God gave us. Taking dominion is not adventitious duty is not an adventitious that's a hard adventitious Mm -hmm. duty or divine positive command it proceeds from the very nature of man and so it cannot be rescinded given by god without even by god without validating the fundamental nature of man sorry there's a lot of big words guys Mm -hmm. i'm getting my tongue twist Mm -hmm. but yeah it's inherent to who you are it cannot be taken away, but like Romans 1 says, we suppress it mm-hmm. in our sin. Yep. But in our redeemed nature, mm-hmm. thankfully we have the Holy Spirit that can orient us back to where we need to go. Exactly. Amen, Wolf. Amen. I'm with you. All right. Uh, bottom of page 54. In short, human dignity refers to divinely inscribed properties that elevate man above all other earthly creatures 
and have inherent ends that require noble action. Moreover, when lacking any of these properties, or when possessing them and failing to exercise them, a human being remains distinct from beasts, for he retains bare rationality. But he is lower in dignity compared to those who possess and exercise them. Human dignity is far more than the status we can enjoy passively. It is a call for the dignified to act in ways that are worthy of his elevated station in the cosmic mm-hmm. order. I mean, never thought of it that way because that's how we hear it. We hear human de- dignity as something someone just possesses. Yeah. But it's something you actually exercise. Yeah. So allow me to get a little graphic here. Go ahead. Homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Is that acting with human dignity? Absolutely not. Yeah. You're actually acting as if you have no dignity. Well, you're acting like an animal. Yeah. Basically, you're just enslaved by your um, animalistic, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Animalistic. uh, Compulsions. Compulsions. Yeah. Instead of, you know, Mm -hmm. exercising restraint and control over yourself, you're Mm -hmm. just enslaved. And you begin to look more like an animal than a human being. Yeah. I like how people say, well, you know, um, spiders kill their babies. So, so I can. Yeah. Or what is it? Like the seahorses are gay or something. Seahorses can have no gender. Yeah. Well, it, does that mean you want to act like an animal? Yeah. <laughs> you're So you're saying you're a seahorse. So you're saying you're a seahorse and you want to act like a yeah. seahorse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... You can think of animals that just murder each other. That doesn't mean it's okay. Mm-hmm. Is that really your argument? Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there's a lot I hadn't thought about that he actually helps me develop mm-hmm. in this chapter. So mm-hmm. thank you, Wolf. I mean, um, monkeys have, mon- pigs will have sex with anyone they have sex with. Yeah. And so, you know, why not? Dogs do the same thing too. Yeah. My dog humps his own face, guys. Pretty much. It doesn't mean you should do it. Mm. Sorry to get a little graphic here, but look, these are literally the arguments people make. Mm. All right. Part three of this chapter, civil fellowship, prelapsarian social relations. So that's Mm pre-send social relations. What did that look like? Well, he says, how would Adam's progeny have arranged themselves had Adam not sinned? Mm. When nations have existed in a pre-fall world. Though answering this question requires many counterfactuals and could lead to vain speculation, most noble Christian thinkers have ventured to theorize that the social life and civil organization of an unfallen world, uh, to theorize about the social life and civil organization of an unfallen world. So, before we get into this, I want to explain what a counterfactual is because mm-hmm. most people are probably like, what the heck is that? What is that, Tim? So let's say you have a fact, okay? Um, that's going to be hard to even think of an example for this one. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, um, here's where it's going to go with it. God told Adam, go out and take dominion. Mm-hmm. That's your fact. Mm-hmm. So a counterfactual is kind of something you can derive from that fact. As mm-hmm. in, well, because God told Adam to go out and take dominion, mm-hmm. therefore, 
that would extend to his offspring as well, mm-hmm. and people would spread across the earth mm-hmm. and take dominion. That mm-hmm. would be kind of a counterfactual. It's probably a terrible way to explain it, mm-hmm. but that's the best I can do in my brain. Yeah, it's sort of like if we only knew that dogs ate. Well, it's most likely, they'll most likely poop or... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's something you can derive from that yeah. fact. So, mm-hmm. anyways... <laughs> <laughs> All we know about dogs is that they eat. There's probably so many philosophers that we just made mad with our explanation of counterfactuals. So. Well, mm. <laughs> Hopefully y'all understand, though. All right. Uh, so he's using these counterfactuals to help us see what an unfallen world would look like, and he says this is what the Reformers did. Mm-hmm. All right, bottom of the page. For example, in the formation of distinct nations is natural to prelapsarian man and grace affirms and restores nature, then the nation in principle is not a consequence of the fall and grace does not undermine it. The same is true of natural and civil re- relations that exist in nations and the relations between them. Mm-hmm. Below, I demonstrate what prelapsarian people would form gr- geographically and culturally distinct mm-hmm. nations. So this is what he's going to be arguing for for the next few uh, titles. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Kendrick? Nope. Okay. Um, The first of those things is the natural family. We like to talk about that here on this podcast. So right down our alley. Well, I can tell you what it isn't. It's women being birth machines for gay. Yeah. For gay couple. Rent a womb, you mean. Yeah, rent a womb. For gay couples that can't naturally reproduce. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Men and women were created for monogamous and perpetual heterosexual union. We call this the natural family, which forms a domestic society. I'm sorry to go off on a tangent again. Go go for it. But I just like how we have to insert that, explain that. That that is natural? Yeah. Yeah. And it, our, our, our civilization today is so stupid. Mm-hmm. We're so stupid. Like, even the fact that he has to say this is what forms domestic society. Mm-hmm. Do we, I know we shouldn't need that explained to us, mm-hmm. but our society is so stupid that we need to. Mm-hmm. Like, Do- obviously, two men cannot make society Mm -hmm. they're relying on the heterosexuals to do it Mm -hmm. even uh dinks yeah uh, cannot because they're doing something unnatural Mm -hmm. and we know that Mm -hmm. they know it too Mm -hmm. that's why they get so defensive about it exactly all right um hervin bovink writes the manner in which the woman received her existence serves to place her in kind of in the kind of relationship to man such that she is inseparably inseparably bound to him. She assists him in his divinely ordained work as one who does not stand above him to dominate him, uh, nor beneath him as one degraded to the status of a tool for pleasure, but one who stands alongside him, stationed at his side, and therefore formed from his side. Amen. Amen. You look like you wanted to say something about that. Nope, nope. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm sure uh, Stephen has been accused of um, being a uh, monogamous. I not monogamous. It's an M word. What is it? I'm tired. Uh, Mass. Uh, a misogynist. Misogynist. There we go. Thank you. You knew what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, he's not. He's saying woman stands alongside man and helps him in his mission. Um, not as some tool for pleasure, but not one that dominates man either. <clears throat> That's more. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, okay. Page 58. Hence, the divine task given to Adam and his race is redu- reducible not to the efforts of individuals, but of domestic teams of husband and wife. Yes. So it's almost as if he's saying people should get married. Boom. And have kids. Amen. And he's not screaming about how everyone has a gift to sing on this. Whoops. All right. Uh, next section, uh, gregariousness. Um, that man is a gregarious or social animal. That's what it means. It just means like your socialness. Yeah. I'm not sure why he chose gregariousness. Because it sounds smarter, obviously. But... Being gregarious, I don't think is a positive thing. Why not? I think it has a negative connotation to it. Well, I don't think it may. He's not using it with that though. I so. know, but that's the problem. Yeah. Well, we'll help you out, Stephen. We know that's not how you're using it. So, Stephen, if you're listening, love you. <laughs> Just I. Maybe use smaller words next time. Use smaller words for my pea-sized <laughs> brain. All right. Um, that man is gregarious or social, or that man is a gregarious or social animal, is affirmed universally in the Christian tradition. Man cannot live well by living alone as wild beasts do, nor wandering about as birds, nor as stateless hermits living without fixed health or home, Writes Jonathan Althusius. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's just saying uh, we need other people to function properly, hmm. which is obviously true. I do not. This is my main critique of him. And I think that is oh, one again? that separates. I think it's one that is um, that's heretical. Here we go again. I, I know where you're going. Is it the C.S. Lewis quote? Darn it. I knew it. You already said it last episode, so. I, I think that is a sin. <clears throat> I think it is sinful. Capital S. Amen. To not use that quote. <laughs> it is sinful. Capital F. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm just joking. Um, bottom of page 59. We form societies to provide what I will call a civil fellowship. This fellowship extends not only to what serves bodily, material, and security needs, but to what serves higher needs as well. In civil fellowship, man can exercise his distinctively human faculties to love his neighbor as himself. He can converse with and serve moral beings as a moral being. Yeah. And that's why I believe capitalism is a fundamentally Edenic thing because mm-hmm. it serves yep. the people rather than being served and demanding its yep. 
Reserve, uh, demanding equality. Yeah, demanding equality and demanding each one gets their own uh, little parcel. Yeah, so in, let's bring this back to the beginning, that trailer that dropped today. Mm-hmm. Um, you you saw things like um, them say like uh, Christianity is an inclusive religion. No, mm-hmm. it's not. It absolutely is not. We say certain people are going to hell if they don't believe in Yeah, Christ. maybe they said um, it's about equality or something. I forget the word they used. Mm-hmm. But it's also not about equality. I'm sorry. I hate to break your little heart. Mm-hmm. But there's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Jesus does not save other people. Yeah. Well, what can I? How can I make this the most Armenian? How can I make <laughs> the? How can I make it more just general? That. Um, God, that there are certain people that are going to hell, and there are certain people that are going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? That's not equal. Or even the gifts God gives to the church. He doesn't give everyone the same measure. Mm-hmm. That's not equality, guys. Mm-hmm. Now, we're all equal in stature in Christ, sure. Mm-hmm. But functionally, as human beings, we have different gifts. Mm-hmm. This is basic stuff. Mm-hmm. But we are so stupid. Mm. All right. Uh, anything else on that, Kendrick? Nope. All right. Okay, page sixty-four. I know we're skipping a big chunk, but honestly, we can. I mean, this talks about pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Um, page sixty-four, second paragraph. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> hold on it's hard to hold this book and read into the mic at the same time once a group leaves a developed community and establishes a common a community elsewhere it begins to take on its own unique characteristics largely through spontaneous coordination deliberation and collective judgment in many if not most cases the community would be relatively independent from others since not all, all places on earth are suitable for human dwelling. There would be geographic separation and uninhabited space between them. Thus, the culture and institutions that develop in these new places would be distinct vis-a-vis other communities. Mm-hmm. Um, would each community produce the same style of dance, music, dress, uh, stories, food, manners, games, and productive specialties? But that language remain exactly the same? Likely not. The particularities of culture, language, and literary arts are not innate to man. They flow from a com- from common principles. But localized interaction shapes their application and generation. Okay. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I will use an analogy that you would like. Okay. Alcohol. Okay. So... Um, let's go, let's go with beer. Sure. Uh, what is beer? Uh, what do you mean? What is it ferment? What is the fermentation? What is beer fermentation of? Like what is, like, you know how, um, grape is fermented. I and how wine is fermented grapes. What is the ferment? It's hops, right? Well, it depends on the type of beer. Your IPA has hops in it. Okay. What about... It's just basically wheat, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's wheat. So that would mean that it's 
places that grow mainly wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, it can only be allowed, and that would be the drink we would see in places that grow mainly wheat, such as, you know, England. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that there would be wines in other cultures. In Italy and Greece, you have you have mainly vineyards. Yeah. Um, in in Asia, uh, you have rice wine mm-hmm. because only rice can can grow in such a climate. And that's why we have different cultures who drink differently. Um, did you know it's hard for wheat to grow in Asia? Mm, I didn't know that. It's because of the acidic. Because I'm American. <laughs> it's because of the acidic soil. Uh, it cannot. It can only grow rice. And so, yeah. technic. And so, by nature, you would have a different cultures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is basic. It's not saying one culture is superior. It's just saying like. Yeah, a culture in the desert is going to look different from a culture on the beach side, probably. Mm-hmm. This is a dumb example. I'm sorry for even going here. But think of like the new Avatar movie. Yeah. So like the water people are different from the avatars that live out in the forest. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a bad thing. They've just created their own culture there. Yeah. And what's funny is in that movie, the people from the forest had to assimilate into the water culture hmm. and learn to live as they did. Wow, mm. that's interesting. That's a principle I did not think about until just now. Wow, I'm glad I saw that movie. Also, <laughs> they would have to have different clothes, yeah, different hairstyles. Mm-hmm. I bet for living in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that you could wear um, the clothes we have now for water, but you know, yeah, yeah and they even had to like hunt differently. Yeah, exactly. Because you're spear fishing and not hunting mm-hmm. with bow and arrow, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just an interesting thought. Um, I think that's about all I have on that section, I think. But that was an interesting uh, principle I think you brought out of there. Mm-hmm. All right. Section four, civil order and civil virtue. Hierarchy, civil subjection, and inequality. I'm sorry, what page are we on? We are on page 66. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so this is where he gets into hierarchy and inequality, hmm. which should be fun. I'm sure that won't make anybody mad in our current culture. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone will love this book. Mm-hmm. He's right, though. All right. Um, bottom of page 66. Inequality in bodily stature, beauty, knowledge, virtue, domestic authority, and civil authority were regularly affirmed as good and not due to the fall. Aquinas states, for example, that some would have made a greater advance in virtue and knowledge than others. On bodily disparities, he states that differences in food sources, climate, and other factors would make some more robust and also greater and more beautiful and always better disposed. Here he has in mind not only individual difference, but also differences between groups. Mm-hmm. He's yep. right. Oh, I forgot to mention this. Yeah. But back in the uh, alcohol example. Yeah. Um, tequila is fermented uh, uh, agave. Uh-huh. So that's, that's what that, you have. That's your people, right? That's my people. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, it makes sense. You know, in different climates. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have different body types. Mm-hmm. 
different builds. And you know what? Thank God we have different body types. Yeah. Because there are some people who can lift heavier things, mm-hmm. like me. And then, yeah. you know, some people who are built for the heavier things. Some people are built for the smaller things. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I hate pick, you know, um, honestly, uh, I hate picking things up from the ground. But I'm sure, like, smaller people can't load. I don't mind doing that. Yeah. Here's an example. Mm-hmm. Kendrick is probably stronger than me. Mm-hmm. Not about to arm wrestle you, but we can assume you're stronger than me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I have to look at God and be like, you didn't create us equal, God. Mm-hmm. That thought would never even cross a normal person's mind. Mm-hmm. In our egalitarian culture, yes, it does, but that's insane. Mm-hmm. Like each person has different gifts in different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is basic. Tim, you are gifted. Thank you. Thank you for affirming me. <laughs> um, you know, um, and that's where division of labor comes in, which is a Christian idea. Mm-hmm. But okay. Yeah. When he, he even says uh, some are more predisposed to, um, what do you say, virtue and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not that being a brute is bad, mm-hmm. but some people are more brutish. Some mm-hmm. people are more... Head head knowledge. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Head head smart. Yeah, sure. Book smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people hate books. Some people like to read them. Mm-hmm. It's not that either one is bad. Mm-hmm. It's just gifted in different areas. And you know what? The quicker you recognize that, the quicker you have a better society. Yeah, I mean, because uh, you, can, you s- can put people in the place they need to be to help benefit society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, if. If we send all the brutish people to, I mean, if we send all the rednecks from Alabama yeah. into the army, that would probably help us win everything. Yeah. We probably would have won uh, Vietnam. But also you want your generals to be smart and strategic. Yeah. And not, not a brute, basically. Yeah. You don't want the redneck from Alabama leading. Yeah. yeah. Not to disparage the rednecks in Alabama, but... I affirm all the rednecks yes, in Alabama. We affirm you guys. I don't think any of y'all listen, but we affirm you. I, I love all the rednecks from Alabama. And also, this is why communism doesn't work. Because they functionally try to put everyone at a base level, which they never do. It never ends up being that way. Mm-hmm. But they try to say, everyone's equal. Everyone gets the same amount of everything. Mm-hmm. And Sorry. That's how you get the small... A Chinese woman in yeah. the fa- in the huge factory trying to lift, and if she doesn't, she dies. Yeah, and that's why in you know capitalism, mm-hmm. or even you know a monarchy, let's say, mm-hmm. you have someone that's gifted in leadership. If they use that gift for the glory of God, that's going to benefit the citizens. Mm-hmm. That's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It's not that one person wins and one person loses because they have less power. Mm-hmm. It's not how it works. Mm. grow up mm. the egalitarians yeah. need to grow up and in fact it's due to the uh, socialist nature that we have a lack of like a lack of appreciation for like custodians mm. you know yeah we look down on them why they clean they clean stuff up and i like that yeah anyways not to go on a soap opera but he's right 
Mm-hmm. And this is why I like the later half of the book because it's mm-hmm. basic, but it's stuff we're mm-hmm. losing at a rapid pace in our culture. And it makes me appreciate Tim more. Oh, thank you. Because he is differently gifted. Because he is gifted differently than I am. Right, I'm way hotter than you are. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, page 68. Um, free subjects, however, submit to an authority that, as Aquinas says, directs, the, directs him um, towards his proper welfare or the common good. The wife is subject to her husband, children to their parents, and citizens to their civil rulers. Instead of speaking of superior and inferior gifts or skills, talents, etc., it is more precise to say that the possession of certain gifts makes one suitable for a possession of superiority and others suitable for obedience. Mm-hmm. And, frankly, everyone experienced some level of this in their life. Mm-hmm. We all submit to someone, and we're all over someone, mm-hmm. unless you're maybe a little infant. Exactly. Like, that doesn't mean the mother is superior to the infant. Mm-hmm. Well, the infant is to submit to the mother. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the egalitarians want to pretend like they derive their beliefs from Scripture, but really they're just following the spirit of the age. Mm-hmm. I'm not scared to say it either. Oh, snap. I listened to freaking 11 hours of Mike Winger talking about First Timothy 2. I feel like I have an opinion on this, okay? I'm invested. Thank I also you, listened to his 12-hour podcast on head coverings. Tim, thank you. <laughs> is The podcast is uh, greatly in, greatly indebted to Tim. You'll receive a yeah. hefty reward. That's right. <laughs> All right, anything else in that section, Kendrick? Nope. All right. Civil government. So, uh, page 70. Civil governments would have existed in the state of integrity. This might be the controversial part. I am aware that important figures in the Christian tradition, such as Augustine and Martin Luther, explicitly denied the necessity of civil government for an unfallen world. Others affirmed their necessity, and I am with this latter camp for the reasons I offer below. Mm -hmm. So here he's departing with Augustine and Martin Luther, which are no names to be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Those are some big respected names in Reformed theology. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to depart, he better have a good reason. Mm-hmm. All right, here's his reasons. Um, vocational diversity and complexity produce potentially clashing interests, um, which... Absent some organizing agent would destroy liberty and the health of the community itself. Uh, that's actually not a reason, but it's just a different point he's making. Mm. Uh, here, let me read the whole paragraph. Um, Since each community has a diverse set of members, each member contributing his gifts to the whole, it would contain a multi- multiplicity of interests, pursuits, and ends. All would share in ultimate ends, such as the good of the whole, and the glory of God, but penultimate ends would vary. Um, Vocational diversity and complexity produce potentially clashing interests, which, absent of some organizing agent, would destroy liberty and the health of the community itself. So, he's saying, 
let's say you have an unfallen world. Okay. You're in a state of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, yet you have a community of people living together. Mm-hmm. Um, you may have clashing interests. Mm-hmm. I could, I could say, Hey, I'm going to plant a tree here. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, well, actually I was going to plant a garden there. Mm-hmm. Neither interest is sinful in of itself, mm-hmm. but they are clashing. Mm-hmm. So some governmental organization to help iron that out. Mm-hmm. I can see. Yeah. All right. People are going to hate me for this. Sure. But I don't believe that traffic is sinful. Oh, I, I strongly disagree. I know. Now, why, why do you not think traffic is sinful? Because it's just a clashing of wills, if okay. you know what I mean. Yeah. It, you know, someone needs to go ahead. Someone, you know, it's just someone trying to get somewhere. That's mm. basically what driving is. Traffic is whenever you just hinder that because you are going your own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, everyone sins in traffic, though. But yes. in a in a unfallen world, it would not be yeah. sinful. And so, you would need uh, a governing body to inter to um, what was it to interpose between yeah. each other. Between Maybe make less traffic. Hopefully, make less traffic, <laughs> like ours is incapable of doing. Amen. Impo- and in. In Christendom 2.0. Amen, brother. No traffic. <laughs> All right. That was Doug Wilson's uh, major point. That's it. You're a Christian nationalist now if you don't want traffic. <laughs> okay. Bottom of 70. For example, the construction of a dam might harm those living downstream. Conflicts in land use and materials might occur as well. The interest of one trade might conflict with another's. In such case, the absence of rules hinders liberty. Shared rules coordinate diverse activities and promote order and a well-functioning functioning symbiosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not bad to build a dam, but if you do that, mm-hmm. people living downstream lose their water. Mm-hmm. Those dang beavers. I know. Stupid beavers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So we're not talking sin, sinful clashes. We're talking about just general interests. Uh, yep. That come with taking dominion. Mm-hmm. So, whether you agree with that or not, I, I lean that direction. Mm-hmm. But uh, frankly, all this is new to me, so I don't want to take too hard of a stance on it. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. Yeah, it would. It would not be an integrity if, while there, are, um, <laughs> let's go with the traffic as the example, yeah. that uh, that he pulls like an AK forty seven out. Is ready just to blast anyone in traffic. Yeah, yeah, obviously. And I don't, in a pre-fallen world, I don't think there would be war amongst nations. Mm-hmm. I think nations would still exist, but they would live peacefully with each other. Mm-hmm. Which awesome. is why, I, um, before God in Revelation, mm-hmm. every tribe, tribe, tongue, and what? Nation. Nation mm-hmm. will be before him. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so... Bear with me for one second. Sure. And this is going to get ahead of us. Okay. I don't really care. Go for it. Um, so let's say in the, let's say in Eden, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just like a little area mixed with, um, it's a, in a little area and there's roughage 
basically outside that little area, right? <laughs> well, what's stopping the government? What's stopping the government from from making a um, a land area clearing unit? You know, <clears throat> that could be seen as national defense. You know, what do you mean by national defense? Uh, for instance, Adam was told to go clear that area. Yeah. And that could be seen as sort of like an army where they clean up, where they... Well, like defense from what? Um, the def- animals, maybe? From the wild. Okay, that makes sense. Because if you're saying like a defense from other nations, mm-hmm. I think no. I would disagree. I don't think that'd be necessary. I'm not even thinking from animals, maybe. Okay, like but, maybe just... Uh, Natural elements. Natural elements. Um, also, uh, we forget about the spiritual aspect that there were fallen angels during that time, and that. Well, yeah, that gets into all another realm of when did the angels fall? Hmm. Was it uh, how far into the garden was it when the angels fell? Hmm. But I don't know. There was a a serpent in there. Yeah. Oh yeah, defense from the serpent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets into that later in the book. You're right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I compl- that slipped my mind. And then you have, uh, you have them creating guns just to kind of kill the serpent. Yeah, <laughs> or serpents if there's other fallen angels. Yeah. Okay, I'm following now. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I forgot you talked about that later in the book. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, anyways, you could go a long way with this. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it, to some degree, it is speculation. Like we can derive certain things but how exactly it all would have looked mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know mm-hmm. um okay let's keep going i'll argue in chapter six laws do not require civil penalties um by definition but such penalties are effective in a fallen world to shore up societal law keeping mm-hmm. what motivates individuals to obey that law is the end of the law One's good and that of one's neighbor toward which the laws order. So yeah, in a pre-fall world, laws would exist, but you wouldn't necessarily need need, need penalties because there's no sin. Well, you could also bring up the penalties. I mean, penalties were brought up prior to the fall. You know, with if you do this, you will. Oh die. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I agree. Yeah, because Adam knew. Mm-hmm. Well, did he know? Do you know the penalties? If you, he said, well, I think God said, if you do this, you will die. And he thought, oh, yeah, if die. you do this, you'll surely die. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he yeah knew. I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, and instead, so if you have like one sin, you'll just basically go, like, if you do this, you will die. Mm-hmm. Kind of, oh, wow. Kind of communing that to the next generation. And yeah. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, uh, but he, in a fallen world, obviously, you need those penalties, and you need to actually enact penalties mm-hmm. to keep uh, lawful society. Yeah. Which is every problem with our society today. Um, the reason we're not lawful is because our laws suck, mm-hmm. because we don't enforce the penalties, namely the death penalty. Dude, I know. But anyways, we already done a, we already done a <laughs> podcast on that. All right. Um Last paragraph towards the bottom. Thus, the necessity of civil hierarchy and the denial of egalitarian um, follows from the existence of unequal civil virtue by nature. 
Amen. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately for the egalitarians, their view is novel mm-hmm. in history. No one held to it, and that should be a giant red flag for you. Mm-hmm. Ginormous. It won't stop them, but, like, mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. All right, uh, 73, uh, second paragraph. Some civil society is a com- composition of households, and men are the head of households. The public singling of political interest, whether through voting or other mechanisms, would be conducted by men, mm-hmm. for they represent their households and everyone in it. Mm, that's going to step on some toes, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he's saying pre-fall, men would be the only ones that would vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they represent the interests of their household. Mm-hmm. They had a household vote. Vote. That doesn't mean women's opinions doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but they did represent their household. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to get on a tangent here, but you have a lot of people that don't have households, that don't have kids, that um, really have no interest in society beyond themselves that vote exactly and they shouldn't mm-hmm. because they are their only interest the dink shouldn't vote or no i'm with you oh yeah the dink shouldn't vote i honestly think honestly i wouldn't even vote i think you should have to own land and have kids to vote you know there wasn't it wasn't the original oh i know Maybe that's because people who own land actually have a vested interest. Exactly. I don't own land, so even I wouldn't be able to vote. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to whine about it. But I do trust that people that do own land and have kids would probably make better decisions. Well, in the in Rush Juni's book, he said that the land tax was sinful, so... And so, basically, you would have, you would be able to own land if yeah. we were actually fee on it. Yeah, we don't, we don't truly own own any land in America. The government owns you. Mm-hmm. You may have your house paid off, but if you don't pay the taxes on it, say bye bye to that house, buddy. Mm-hmm. The government owns you. We are not calling for the for the destruction of the IRS or its taxes. Allegedly. Allegedly. No, we are not. <laughs> we are not calling for a... We're not, we are a little bit. Shut up, Tim. <laughs> we are not calling for any uprisings. All right, let's keep you on. Um, <laughs> I really do hate you. You make it so much harder. Uh, self-preservation and marital virtue. We're almost to the end, guys. Mm-hmm. promise. We're getting close. All right. I got a lot to read. First paragraph, the Reformed tradition broadly affirms that the duty of self-preservation is inherent to human nature. So we're talking about self-defense here, even beyond that a little bit. Mm-hmm. It is a properly, na- sorry, it is properly natural to all animals. Again, he's not talking about how we evolved. That's not what he's saying. It is properly natural to all animals, including rational animals, which is us. 
Though in addition to his body, man must preserve his soul. Self-preservation might seem to be post-lapsarian, as in um, after sin. After the fall. Yeah, after the fall. Since we speak of it typically when uh, countering violence of violence, but self-preservation would have been essential in the state of integrity or before the fall. For one thing, man was to preserve his integrity through obedience, but another type of self-preserving uh, is required. One that takes into consideration a world where sinful man is possible and adversaries roam, for example, the serpent and fallen angels, which Kendrick referred to earlier. Yeah. Man, that was going way ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, many theologians believe that one of Adam's covenantal tasks was protecting the garden and killing the serpent and other creatures mm -hmm. that threatened its peace. Guns are biblical. There you go. Amen. This would seem to demand also that households and civil societies identify, resist, and defeat threats to both soul and body. Mm -hmm. So, the right for self-defense existed even before the fall. Amen. What what happens with a lot of egalitarian arguments is they'll say a lot of things resulted from the fall, but now that we're under grace, those things are gone. So they'll make arguments like hierarchy, um, that gender roles and stuff is a result of the fall, but now that we're in grace, those are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. But if those things existed pre-fall, mm -hmm. pretty much... 90% of their argument falls apart. Mm -hmm. And it does. Because, yes, those things obviously existed mm -hmm. before the fall. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Since the ability to repel violence with violence requires marital virtues, uh, I'm sorry, marital, martial virtues, um, martial virtue and training and martial excellence would have been a feature of life in the state of integrity. This one kind of, I think, confused me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand training mm -hmm. for violence as needed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just an interesting... Yeah, I don't know what that would have looked like. Maybe that's why I was confused. Yeah. I don't think there will... I don't know. Maybe there was UFC pre-fall. <laughs> Anyways. Um, as long as you do it not to hurt someone. Yeah, unless... It's a snake or something. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, but we should not limit martial virtue to repelling violence. It refers more generally to skills by which one subdues an opponent. And so it extends to subduing untamed beasts in the wilderness. So we all have this view pre-fall that all the animals got along and that you would... Hunky-dory. Yeah, everything's hunky-dory. Actually, there was a reason God said to keep the garden, which means to guard the garden. From what is the question? Stuff. Yeah. That there was a, a garden to guard and that there was... You were guarding from something. Yeah, guarding from whether something. Whether it be the snake or from uh, mm -hmm. dangerous beasts. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> states most... Uh, Bavink states most Reformed theologians were of the... Um, Opinion that eating meat was permitted to humans even before the flood and the fall. Amen, brother. Steaks, here we go. I'm ready for steak in heaven. 
Mm-hmm. Steak didn't come because of the fall. Amen. Amen. The best part of this book right here. Let's go. Let's go before we have any <laughs> reputations. All right. Uh, we're almost done. I think this is the last section right here. It is. All right. We're in the we're in the finish line, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, civil magist- magistracy and spiritual ministry. Uh, civil fellowship exists under civil magistracy or secular authority, which can touch only the external form of the or, or body. By nature, the magistracy has no jurisdiction over the conscience, the inward part of the man. Magistrates direct the public by means of civil command, obligating people to particular outward actions. They cannot make laws concerning inward action, and hence they cannot command people to act according to the proper inward principles, such as exercising faith. God alone is Lord of the conscience. Nature supplies no mediator between man and God. Civil authority, for this reason, lacks the power to direct conscience, for civil law is, in essence, human command, and only God commands the conscience. Yes. Yes. The the um, government can't give you affections to love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. It can only tell you how to do it. He's not killing Baptists. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no drowning Baptists in Christendom 2.0. Mm-hmm. No more Fritz Erba, Mr. White. Mm-hmm. We can all chill now. Mm-hmm. All right. Spiritual fellowship, however, falls under spiritual ministry, which serves spiritual things in the soul, the inward being, in which one acts to the glory of God and is oriented to the promised heavenly life. The definite form of this ministry and the state of integrity is not clear to me. Okay, that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair, I think. Whether it would be an institution or not, with official ministers or not, but for our purposes, determining the definite form is irrelevant. Thoughts? Not sure. Not sure, okay. That's fair. Well, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, there's some things... I'm, unsure about just because well it's new would we have church back then will we have temple yeah i don't know will we have you know do will we even have scripture i mean well uh, yeah because you would be in direct fellowship with god pre-fall exactly but you know do we get words coming down from heaven on who god is more well i can think of more like um I mean, think of worship. Like, I think that could still be taking place in communities. That's true. Because that's going to be in heaven, mm. and that's going to be sinless as well. Mm. So I think that could be there. I don't, again, like Wolf said, I don't know what it would look like. You and me both. Yeah, even in heaven, I don't know. But mm-hmm. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Still developing my thoughts in that area, but mm-hmm. he has said more than anyone else has mm-hmm. and he said things people have not talked about so mm-hmm. I'm inclined to lean his direction on these areas mm-hmm. but we'll end it there I'm not going to go over his conclusion because obviously we just went over the whole chapters mm-hmm. it's kind of unnecessary but what are your uh, any closing thoughts be a Christian nationalist Amen. stop being stupid Amen. if you aren't 
if you aren't already a Christian nationalist. Yeah. Um, you're probably tired from listening to all this episode, but the takeaway is, look, these are unpopular stances. Basically, everyone goes against the cultural uh, zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be hated for believing these things. That's why documentaries are being put together to um, illegitimize Christian nationalists and make us look like the villains in the situation. When in reality, we just want to love our neighbors and love God mm-hmm. and encourage society to do the same thing. So if that's you, hop on board. Um, next week, we're going over chapter two, Redeemed Nations. What is man? Part two, fall and redemption. Next week. Next month. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's been a long, long podcast. So mm-hmm. anyways, see y'all next month. Thank you. Bye.